I'm Scott Rogers. This is the MDRT Podcast. On the last episode, we introduced the concept of business continuation planning. Essentially, what the term boils down to is building and structuring your practice in such a way as to leave it with the highest possible value when you, for whatever reason, leave the business. We focus mainly on succession planning, on finding the right person to take over your practice and the worries that go along with this process. Today, we're gonna take a step back. You're going to hear from four members who are currently adding value to their practice. They are Jed Levine from Aurelia, Ontario. Mark Berube from Montreal, Canada. James Alex from Roslyn, New York. Sarah Kelber, Wayzata, Minnesota. With still years to go to their retirement, their focus is instead on building a business that will remain financially viable for their successors, while also providing the high quality service their clients have come to expect. They deal with issues like how you market your practice, attracting the right kind of clients, and then something as seemingly simple as the name of the business. As our group says, successors want to purchase what you've built without the added difficulty of having to live in the shadow of a practice bearing your name. To begin with, you're going to hear this group discuss how to keep clients involved and how to build a brand. I think a lot of uh when it comes to our financial planning that's really a big part of our process that our clients all have a plan to stick to and with with the annual reviews everything's geared off that plan so going back to the mm. point of succession if a client's been working on a plan for 10 15 20 years i think that client is, has a much higher propensity to want to stay on with the successor advisor because they have a plan that process is in place and they don't want to necessarily change their goals that are on track just because there's been an advisor change or a retirement. So I think, you know, it, it makes the bi business bigger than the advisor. So your review process, if I was to buy your business, I could walk in and pick up and do a review next year. Absolutely. And it would feel the same way as if you did it this year. So you have steps documented, consistent documents and things like that to keep those clients sticky? Yeah. So. Everything we do with our clients is goals-based. Uh, one of the one of the lines I'll say with clients daily is, you know, the products are just a means to an end. So if a product isn't attached to a goal, then you really have to think hard about why you would own that product. Hmm. So w when we're reviewing their products or investments, that's all attached to a goal. So we have this life insurance because we want to make sure our family's protected. Critical illness, disability, same idea. We're putting this much in our retirement savings because we want to retire with X amount of dollars per month at this time. And to be on pace for that, we should have a certain number of dollars today. So we use very conservative assumptions. They come in, their plan's on track, they're going to achieve all their goals if they stick to the plan. It, they'd really have to think long and hard about wanting to change firms just because there's been an advisor right. retirement. because everything they've set out to do, all their goals are on track. And that's a repeated, each year you can go back and check it. Here's where you were last year and here's where you are now. Absolutely. See, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. That's, that's something worth buying and that's more than just worth the list of names. Because you know they're stuck in a process. I shouldn't say stuck in a process. They're experiencing a yeah, process. They're committed to a process. And committed is a better word. And yeah, that, that, that brings the value. Now I understand why you're multiple 
that we talked about earlier, your multiple is higher than a lot of other multiples we see because sure. it comes with a very sticky process. Absolutely. And that's what I think young advisors need to learn is it's not creating the relationship is critical, but getting them through a system that provides consistent, repeatable results, that's what makes it a business. And, and also from the compliance perspective, I mean, you, you've got a, doing the goals-based planning, you've got something that a makes your business more valuable, but C really covers you from a compliance standpoint. You have a very strong justification for every product and every holding that that's on your books with that client. So, right. uh, even though those you know value of your business and compliance might be at opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, that process certainly satisfies both. For us, uh, having a young advisor in our firm, we want him or her to be to be around for quite a certain amount of years. You know, I think I would prefer to sell my business within my business, you know, younger mm -hmm. advisors. And in order to do that, you know, I need I need somebody who's who, who thinks exactly the same the same way as, you know, the company think. So um, as you said, Sarah, uh, you need people 20 years younger in order to, you know, to sell your business. And you, we, we hold that to our clients, like those who trusted us, we need to, you know, let them in good hands. Also, if you look, uh, within, within the broker-dealer, like you work, it's better to find somebody if you are planning to retire or exit um, out of the business. For the client also, it's a better experience that the person doesn't have to go through the entire uh, changing broker process. It's a huge, huge process. I mean, in U.S., definitely it is. It doesn't matter how big is your account. It could be a could be a ten thousand to a two million, uh, ten million, but same process you got to follow. Same paperwork. So it's it's for them. They will be like, "What are you exiting? Why?" And all of the questions come up. It's said easy if you find somebody, as you said, within your broker dealer or within your firm who maybe grew up in that area where they know the process, the client feels comfortable, you can bring them in along with you maybe for a couple of appointments, the person is very comfortable with that and it's easy for that person to take over. But if you try to sell it outside, of course that paperwork, the client has to not trust us, like, you know what, okay, this guy was dealing with me for 30 years, all of a sudden this new dude came from somewhere or a new girl came from somewhere and I don't know him or her. That person can leave. Even, right. even all they the They don't have to sign do. the paper so they're not going, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's an easier way to trans or, or segue into a different advisor if you bring in somebody rather than selling it to somebody. Mm -hmm. And the value of our business is greater like in terms of uh, money if we sell within you know people that knows the value of the, the business mm -hmm. I think so that's that's good for us we were speaking early, earlier this morning James you mentioned you work with some mentors and what great motivation to mentor someone if not for a succession plan mm. you know uh, too often books of businesses are sold with no transition period it's just Today I'm your advisor, tomorrow somebody else is your advisor. 
and I think there's a, a big desire with uh, younger advisors especially to, to seek out and find mentors. But from the, um, the person doing the mentoring's perspective, if that person's a good fit for your business, I mean, what a great opportunity to translate, uh, transition those relationships over five, ten or more years where, yes, you're selling to this individual, but maybe you've done joint reviews with these clients three, four, five times over that period, so it's just a, a natural move. Yeah. Just one day the senior advisor wasn't at the review and uh, the the junior advisor ran the appointment on their own and that, mm-hmm. that really transitions the relationships as opposed to just uh, selling your practice overnight. Yeah. Also it builds that confidence in the client because the client has dealt with both the advisors, the senior and the junior. Sure and they have the experience. So when the senior person is exiting, the client is not feeling the pain. It's like, oh, okay, I already know this guy. I already worked with this guy. It's easy. When it comes to identifying a successor, sometimes you don't have to look any further than your own practice. According to MDRT's business continuation planning tree, found online at mdrt.org, one of the most beneficial ways to make a transfer of sale is to identify a key employee or partner you can pass the business onto. This typically maximizes the value of the practice and also comes with a built-in familiarity, which is invaluable. Of course, as the group notes, this can lead to some confusion, like whose client is whose, for example. Is it a client of the firm, or is it a client of the senior advisor, or is it a client of the junior advisor? Because this is one of the biggest challenges that I have in this, is how do I compensate that junior advisor to be willing to sit in on my appointments so that they can learn enough to be able to transcend this relationship? And yet, at what point can they step in and handle the servicing and how does that, especially when we're looking at recurring revenue models, mm-hmm. you know, how do you decide in our firm, we count the client as a client of the firm. So we look at that and everybody is paid then a base salary. So that, that's how we market through that. But I've got some young advisors I'm looking at bringing on board that are in a commission-oriented environment and that's less appealing to them. They'd rather go out and find their own next new client and make their own big bucks rather than slowly start to take over uh, a business. So, uh, thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, actually, the way I did it uh, with my firm is my mentor, he has a huge book and he's not able to service them. So, I came in, I'm looking to, to acquire clients and I'm more than willing to do whatever it takes to the next level. So, he said, okay, fine, I, I have these clients you want to reach out to them and see if there's anything we can do. If it's service, if it's sales, let's work. So I pick up the call just like any young advisor and say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I'm here and I work with so and so and you're his client. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he said, you know what, you're a great client uh, and I'm, by the way, I'm in the new area. Can I come and do a review with you? And they know, okay, they already know the advisor who's working with them. I gave that name away. And they said, yeah, sure, yeah, he, he reached out, but we were busy. So I go in there, and he hasn't met that client for years. There was definitely a sales opportunity. When I go in there, we split 50-50. Okay. So that was a good way of me, okay, I made 50, and he got 50, and it was his client. Okay, so, so five years down the road. You have another sale to that particular client. Is it still 50-50, or at this point has that relationship transcended to you? 
it's still 50-50 if he stays in the business. Okay. Because if he's still in the business, yes, he still is. I mean, it's our client now. Okay. We both working, and more sales coming. It's 50-50. But if he has retired, it's now mine. Okay. Because it's it's now I'm making the sales. And would you purchase that client, or would that just client naturally become yours upon retirement? That depends. Because the way we did it now is, if it's a wealth management client, you have recurring income. If it was a pure retirement sale, annuity sale, or a life insurance sale with a one-time commission, right. you're not getting the recurring. So basically, now it's your client. Wealth management could be somewhere. Well, you we have, have some to value. Buy that. Exactly. Okay. See, I've always taken the perspective of whoever owns the relationship owns the client. Uh, at the end of the day, it's ultimately who the client's going to decide to work with. So. What, what we've done in the past is allow the junior advisor to go do the reviews with the clients that we're not able to properly service uh, to the level they deserve. We do a 70-30 split, 70% uh, going to the writing advisor, 30% to the house. But then anyone that they sell to, they have the opportunity to purchase that client. Because we figure mm -hmm. once they're at the point where they're buying from another advisor, will take 30% on that new sale, and then they'll pay a multiple of the existing residual, and then it's theirs. So it's just, it's been a simple way. It depends what your goal is, I suppose. If you're trying to clean up your book, or you're trying to make this junior advisor an additional revenue source, it really would change what strategy you take. In mm -hmm. my case, we're just looking at trimming down the book. Okay. So, and it's a good opportunity for a young advisor to purchase those clients, because from making the sale, they have some extra funds in order to um, pay for it. Right? <laughs> One of the topics that we talked about earlier was branding and so as we, for I know for our firm as we moved into truly creating a firm so much in our business is relationships and we create those relationships with our clients and as I moved in at B&E which is now the name of our firm and what everybody calls it back then it was always considered Denny's company or oh, just mm -hmm. go see Denny. Even though the name was still Business and Estate Advisors, people would always say, just go see Denny, go see Denny Zarbach. And we went through a pretty in-depth rebranding process in, unfortunately, 2008. If we had known the market was gonna collapse, we would not have invested the money at that time. But we started through this rebranding process, and in doing that, the one thing, even though I was coming up as the successor, I never wanted it to be, so go see Sarah, go see Sarah's company because I didn't want to have to go through that struggle with wherever I ended up releasing the business to later. So as we moved through that branding process and stopped becoming uh, our own individuals, of course you always have that individual relationship, but we came, became B&E with our processes and our procedures and our deliverables. As we look at, or I look at bringing in a junior advisor and potentially selling a block of business, that to me is a series of startup costs that they don't have to incur. Sure. And so I look at that and say, that's got to make my business a little more valuable for somebody to come in because it's, it's a sticky because it's brand recognition in our area. Right. Right. Um, and so that's the part that I think um, as young advisors go through and figure out where they want to plant their roots or if they're going to make some changes, that that's one of the things that would be pretty instrumental to consider. So as young advisors, what have you done to really brand and set your business brand a little apart from your individual identity? So I've seen that, that branding transition happen a few times. 
that's maybe yourself and a junior advisor, you tie your name to the business, but uh, then a few years later you're, you're changing it and we've seen that happen uh, often in our area. I think again that speaks to the earlier point for so many reasons through processes, through branding, the, the, or through succession. You know, the point really is the business has to be bigger than the individual or else mm-hmm. you're just never going to get out of it. You're not going to get value out of it. You're not going to get yourself out of the business. <laughs> and it's going to affect the value. So having that having that uh, foresight to say, okay, this is the business. I'm part of the business. I'm an important part of the business. But it needs to be able to run without me. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to create so much value on, on so many different levels. I'll tell you, um, in terms of when I joined uh, my firm, and primarily life insurance, most of the guys do life insurance over there. But whenever I met my clients, new friends and my buddies and old colleagues, you tell them that I do retirement planning, I do investments and protection products. I'm not a life insurance guy. So when you say that, you put yourself as a difference than anybody else out there because the company may be portraying you as a life insurance guy, but you are saying because it's you in the industry, they're seeing your name, your face, they don't know what brand, yes, but they know that there's a life insurance in it. But when you say, hey, you know what, I'm doing, I'm an investment planner, I'm a financial planner, I'm a life insurance guy, I'm a protection guy, it's you who you are, that's how you portray yourself. Is if you say your name is the mark and then you're gonna go out and do business, People know you as Mark, same way as, as, as you said. Mm-hmm. It's your perception from the moment you start doing business going forward. So always, I did not put my name, I said what I do. Thanks for joining us today. This has been the second installment in a two-part series on business continuation planning. If you missed our first episode, I'm Not Retiring, please check it out on our website you'll hear some great perspectives from members who are currently facing the challenges of succession planning. For more resources, please check out the business continuation planning tree on mdrt.org. We'll post a direct link in the description for this episode. You'll find some great information on how to navigate the business continuation planning process here, more than we could fit into one episode. Special thanks to our member panel for participating in this episode. Jed, Mark, James, and Sarah and to our producer, Steve Saltarelli. As always, if you have comments or suggestions for what you'd like to see, drop us an email at podcast at mdrt.org or leave us a comment on Facebook or mdrt.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.